Welcome to this evening's panel as part of Comic-Con Africa. Tonight we are talking about different dungeon mastering styles. Oh yes, uh, hello everyone. I'm Jacob. Beforehand we had discussed that I was actually playing Pruitt today uh, from WebDM. I actually, it's it's me, Jacob, from XP to Level 3. I'm from California on the west side of the United States. Anyways, hi, I'm Jacob. <laughs> I am Jim. I'm actually on WebDM. Uh, and while I was born in Texas, I currently reside on the East Coast. Nice. East Coast of America, that is. Not the East Coast of some <laughs> other country. <laughs> Hello there. I'm Aiden. I am from Argentina. And I do D&D YouTube videos in my channel. Aiden. You have to look up Aiden D&D to find me. You're going to get a lot of religious stuff if you don't. I'm Carla. I'm from Dum Dum Die in all the way in South Africa. So the south of pretty much most of the world. So the south coast of that. I'm Jordan. I stream with Q Times and I'm from Los Angeles. I'm also technically from California. I have a YouTube channel where I talk about spells. Um, I've got a show called The Animated Spellbook. That's the main one people know about. I just really love talking about D&D, and then I put that neuroses into a channel, and now people don't have to deal with it in my day-to-day life. We'll go with the first question. So describe your dungeon mastering style. I guess I would say mine is much more like, I don't know how to describe it other than like player symbiotic. I do not focus very much on lore, world building, making super cool monsters. I like those things, but they're not like at the forefront. The forefront of the fun I have as a DM and the way I style is I play to the players. I kind of like cater to them as much as I can because I feel like it's more fun that way. So the players, um, a lot of people will give advice like don't let your world uh, spin around your players. I totally do. I think it's super fun. Uh, they're always the heroes, and I like to throw challenges at them, whether it be role-playing or combat or everything, but um, at the end of like my sessions, I am always projecting my my style of being a DM at them. Um, so whatever they enjoy, whatever they want. So I can't really pin it down, because it's whatever group of four to six people that I'm running that time, is they're going to want a different thing than the next group. I guess that's generally my DM style. I tend to have sort of a neutral referee style myself. I feel like as a DM, I'm there to portray the world, the NPCs as a living thing so that the players can like make decisions, interact with it, go where they will, get up to whatever trouble they want to get into. And then when they get in over their heads, I get to be like, listen, this is y'all's fault. You know, I'm not here to rescue you. I'm not here to like help you out. I love telling players no. I hate having fun. Uh, and so I use a lot of like procedural generation tools to like remove my bias when I DM. So like reaction roles for NPCs or like this is sort of what what's going to happen in the world. Simple rules, quick to use at the table. I'm not into like a lot of prep because I don't have time for it. I like to use what I call theater of the mind style, which is really, it's more about role play for me. I am not a combat person. Like when I'm playing, it's my least favorite thing to play. So as a DM, I do not want to sit around and play in dungeons. <laughs> Especially because the one time that I did, all of my players found a way to just basically surpass the dungeon without ever having to go into it. Oh, no. Good for them. I'm glad they did it. But also, that's, no, we don't do that in this house anymore. Definitely more theater of the mind, like a group of friends playing pretend. And the Dungeon Master's Guide is more of a handbook or a guideline for me than it is staunch rules. Because if it's going to impact our playing in a negative way or make it less fun, I'm not about that. My DMing style is more story driven. I have the world itself. I write it up. I try to make everything make sense. And then I put my players in, and I let them destroy it if they want. 
So everything they do has an effect, and because things are sedimented properly, everything they do feels like it has some meaning to it. And I like letting my players go wild with it, just run with it. So they, if they interpret something in my world in an incorrect way, I don't tell them, oh no, you're wrong. I just, I just let them run with it and see where that leads them. They usually arrive at the right answer, although the funniest times are when they really don't at all. So yeah, I just kind of create a world and let my players just ruin it and have fun with it. Well, I run terrifying meat grinders, and I just sort of hope that you know the personalities of the people at the table can make that fun and work, and most of the time it does. And I do think that in general, there's a little bit of a, like, people get mad about meat grinders on the internet or about sort of like adversarial DMing, if you will. I think that if you've got the right people at the table and you present it honestly, I think it can be really, really fun. The other thing is I can't run a serious game to save my life. I've tried so many times to just like political intrigue and like, oh, this is the under duke of the whatever. And then it just always ends up being a comedy. That's me. Do you normally like kill a lot of your players? Yeah. Yeah. Dude, that sounds fun. I want to come to one of your games with a nice. stack of five characters and just be like, let's go. <laughs> that yeah. sounds so cool. It's yeah, my favorite well, spell as a player. That guy's done. Yes. Well, that's the thing. I was brought into D&D by some old guard players who just were like, if you so much as like look at the trap wrong, you're done. So I just didn't know that there was another way to do it until it started getting popularized on YouTube and stuff. I've torn a character sheet once. It was too brutal. I never did it again. I just saw the person fold into themselves and I was like, oh, I'm going to have to be... Real oh, nice to that guy for the next three months. <laughs> Sorry, you've died. I just uploaded a Trojan into your computer. <laughs> Get them banned from girlfriend. It brings across a, a South African saying: "You're like you wouldn't die if you just don't be cock." Just be bad. I'm very much along the same lines as Jordan and Jacob. It's about that storytelling, and like I look at monster stats just to be like. What cool abilities does this thing have? And then I'm just going to make their stats match what I feel. If the heroes are killing it too quickly, I'm like, this thing has 100 more HP in my mind. I obviously don't say that out loud. Aha, you have invoked my anger. It has 100 more HP. (laughs) Yes. You were never ready. Just don't be so good, and then I won't give them more HP. How do you manage time in combat like if a mage casts a spell and it lasts 10 minutes or 60 minutes how do you tell when the spell runs out specifically in combat i'm like okay that's like 100 rounds or something like that but actually sometimes uh, more recently i've been because my players really like to role play and so like they're like how long has it been i'm like well you guys have been talking for 10 minutes so it's been 10 minutes <laughs> like it's not like time passes faster so um actually more recently i have been setting like timers for spells like that like i'm gonna ritual cast detect magic i'm like set 10 minutes and then but sometimes if they're like in the middle of a thing they're investigating i kind of just hand wave it and go okay that uh, you guys wait for a couple of minutes and then so-and-so cast detect magic. Sometimes it can bog things down. Sometimes it can't. I think sometimes it's fun to give them the limitation be like, ha-ha, I'm not going to spell, uh, spend a spell slot. And I'm like, ha-ha, you're going to wait 10 minutes. And they're like, oh, dang it. At this point in my DM life, I just have a sense for it. And that's not helpful, right? <laughs> Great <laughs> I mean, you know, you'll, you'll get there eventually, I guess. But my rubric is that for every like significant action, a player takes in in, in in like an adventure location because sometimes time doesn't matter right you got all the time in the world 
that's 10 minutes. You're trying to sneak down a hallway, that's about 10 minutes, right? You're trying to like get through a door, disarm a trap, convince these, you know, goblins that you're there to help them or whatever. Uh, that's about 10 minutes. I kind of keep that loose. It's sort of wishy-washy that way. Your examples are so specific. But it's that, it's that experience. A into the heart uh, of a king. That's about yeah, 10 minutes. minutes. In a monster or yeah, summon yeah. something um, terrible. Setting up some explosives inside a tavern and killing everyone inside. That's about 10 minutes. There you go. Yeah, uh, convincing <laughs> an, an ogre it takes longer than convincing a goblin. Like there's size differences. That's about 11 minutes. It takes them longer <laughs> to understand things, so... I'm actually very similar. I play it real loosey-goosey and kind of just estimate, depending on how I feel and how gameplay is going and and all that other stuff. I don't think I've ever actually set a real-time timer for it. It's just kind of like, how is this? how does it serve the overall story? And then I go from there. I usually, when it comes to times, to spells, it, it really depends on the situation. If they are in combat, I do time it because it's it, it takes away, for me personally, the whole strategic feeling of combat. You know, you have the positioning and you have the roles and then you have the time that the spells uh, last. But when it comes to outside of combat, it really depends. If they are being pressed by some situation, I, I go like, okay, you have this amount of time and I time it. But if it's just like, oh, I'm going to go out and hunt and I'm going to cast a sense creature or talk to animals. And I'm like, okay, you have 10 minutes. Go. No, I, I do. I go like, okay, yeah, you do it. You go and do it. You know, I, I don't impress them too much. I let them have fun when they are in, in timeout. When you're talking about combat, it's six seconds per round, right? Generally, you do, well, like my, my absolute, my fucked initiative order, you write down... <laughs> You write down all the different names, and then when it's somebody's turn, you put a little tick next to the name. And then when you've done everybody's turn, you go back around to the top, and you do that in rows. And if you do that in rows, then you'll be able to, like, a 10-minute spell, right, if it's six seconds per turn, doesn't have to get a run out in a combat unless you're running one of the most nightmarish games <laughs> A <laughs> hundred rounds of 5e combat is Your spell brutal. just has like lasts a minute or ten minutes. Yeah. That just means in combat you can't cast it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. If the uh, the casting time is is a minute, then you can pretty much forget about it unless it's some like story hinging moment because you got to last ten rounds. I guess that's a technical answer. I would say that if you're trying to make the perception that a battle isn't horrifically long, like if you're trying to communicate that, like excitement and that sort of stuff, I think one of the worst things you can do is to just go through the turn order and have everybody do their action and roll their dice and get the dice rolls as fast as possible. It's fucking awful. Don't do that. You can. Maybe some people enjoy that, but the best way to make combat feel like it's going faster is actually to slow it down and describe what's happening. Go... He shoots through the door and, you know, ducks, slides underneath the bar stool and then stabs upward into Jeremy's leg. As he's doing that, Marcus, what are you doing? Is better yeah, than yeah. going, he hits. Marcus. Because it, it gets rid of the fiction. It's better to dive in and out. The angry DM has an article about it. He says, run combat like a dolphin. I like how a dolphin jumps out of the waves, you know? So it's like story mechanical, story mechanical. 
Oh, that's cool. Um, if you stick on one side, then there's not going to be as much reality to it. If you stick on the other side, then it's going to be just like... It's a great segue to the next question. I just want to say thank you to everyone who's following us. I do see you. And then also someone in chat, Hannes, says, Hi, Z. I still have that torn up character sheet. I know. I'm sorry, man. I'm really sorry. I did not think it could happen. It was really traumatic. I know. I remember. (laughs) And then they put, and this is my favorite, if it was me you were talking about. Like it could be anyone. It only happened once. Oh, I never did it again. <laughs> it's implied that it's happened more than once. <laughs> right. <laughs> no. No, no. I don't think I've done maybe twice, maybe twice. But it did happen twice. <laughs> that was the one I was talking about. Hans played for a year with me after that though, so I made it up to him, I hope. I don't know. That discussion of the the mechanics and the timing, and I think this also really speaks to how you as a GM run it. So I also run very much like Jordan, except I find, uh, like Jacob mentioned, the time when I use time the most is when people are like standing outside a dungeon and planning because players think they can sit there and plan for 40 minutes and no guard is going to come past, no guard is going to hear them. So that's really when I'm like... Okay, you guys have been here five minutes. Someone's coming. You mean before they abandoned the plan that they just made immediately? Right. <laughs> <laughs> mean your players don't stand outside of, a, of the adventuring area, talk for 20 minutes, and then go, nah, and just go do something else. <laughs> Invariably, the one player will eventually just get bo- so bored that they're like, fuck it, and just go in. So what are your thoughts about rolling play like so rolling dice versus role play as in as in acting like i said earlier it's like it's just depending on what group i'm playing with and i've played with groups who are like we barely roll dice and i've also played with groups who love to grind through a dungeon normally with my regular group i try to keep like a mixture of both i really like mechanics as a player i i love doing dungeon crawls i like fighting monsters but weirdly as like a dm i i'm not so much that way i really like it being more rp story driven i enjoy playing NPCs a lot more than I enjoy running combat. But if we're running combat and we're rolling dice and all that, I try to keep that as snappy as I can. So like uh, Z was talking about how um, to uh, flavor up your combat and describe stuff out instead of just doing numbers. I totally agree with that, except for when your player casts firebolt 10 times in a row. There's only so many times you can describe a firebolt and eventually they don't care anymore. And they're like, just do my damage. I don't need to hear how I burn this dragon for the eighth time. So I think a, a good balance of both, so long as you're not um, over the top with it. I do really like monster stats, but I am the same way of like picking them out. Like I want to, I want to find the one with cool abilities and then like surprise my players with it. But then if they try to argue with me about how it works because they like to do that, um, I'll be like, oh no, the rules say, <laughs> and I can kind of hide behind like the rules and the math to be like, I'm, I'm safe. You guys can't hurt me here because I have to do this. And they're like, oh, he's right. He definitely can't change everything, whatever he wants. I really like like a good medium of both. But if I'm going to lean to one side as a player, I like rolling dice and doing numbers weirdly. And then as a DM, I enjoy all of the acting, the NPC portions, the, um, the role play, um, and just watching the characters interact with one another. I'm sort of similar. I like both. And I don't usually like to contrast them with each other. Like a lot of people are like, it's either one or the other, right? I'm super into the role play or super into the dice rolling, things like that. And to me, they're so intertwined that they 
both give rise to the other. Like if you have a role playing moment where you're like super in character or something's happening, it's very story focused or whatever, and then you can't back it up with a mechanic, right? This is the classic. I I'm I just like knocked this out of the part. I had the best monologue. I just man, it was so good. And then roll like a one on your persuasion check. Right. So as a DM, I don't even make them roll in that case. Like, I just thought that was really good. That's exactly mm. what the, whoever wanted to hear. You know what I mean? Or they could say, I, I just want to roll my check and then I'll we'll role play out what happens after. Right. So they start with the mechanics and then we'll interpret it and then role play like that. Just to use an example. So I don't like to, to exclude either or. I also let the players take the lead in that. If someone wants to talk in character, get real descriptive, that's up to them. Another one just just wants to roll dice, not really worry about it, that's fine as well. But to me, they're so intertwined that I don't, I can't pick them apart. And I want them to reinforce each other and like boost each other up and like, all right, if this is my role-playing moment, if this is something that my character has or my NPC has or something, then I want a mechanic to back it up. And if they have a mechanic, I want it to be reflected in the world, in the fiction, so that it's not just a game thing it's like no it's it's real they're so intertwined they can't like separate them that's how i deal with it i agree i think i like to use a mixture of both even you know even though i'm not combat heavy there's still a lot of other dice rolls that you can do when you're role playing and when you're storytelling and i like to set up a good story and make sure that we're having fun going back and forth and then from there it's one of those things where one of my favorite moments as a player is that we were playing the night after a party and so we were all sitting around talking about how much fun we had the party and how much we drank and our DM immediately says, oh, you drank a lot at the party? Everybody roll for Constitution, and we're going to see who's hungover or not. You know, so it's little moments like that where you're building the world, and you can say, oh, you know what? I could use an inside check here, so go ahead and give me a roll for that. Or, you know, you said that you're going to book a night at the end. Are they going to let you do a persuasion here? That kind of deal. Yeah. It's a player-by-player player case, you know? But uh, some players I have hate role-playing. So I just let them roll, and whenever they want to do something, I go, okay, roll. But... Then you have moments where the player, as, as Jim said, they do a great speech. And then if I don't have any real reason why the NPCs wouldn't believe them or wouldn't be rallied by the speech, I don't have a reason to roll. I had DMs that were like, I gave a great speech or gave an, an exact explanation of how I solved a problem that couldn't have any, anything wrong or there wouldn't be any reason for it to go wrong. And they just make me roll for just for rolling's sake. You have to encourage your players to take that rolling and like role play part out of them. And if you make them roll every time they try to do something, you, you make them have a big chance to fail, you are discouraging them from doing that. So I think finding the balance and knowing when the players have to roll, it is very important to help them get it into the world. Yeah, I think the only real answer is a blend, right? I guess there must be some wargamer groups out there who are just like, Nothing but fucking combat. <laughs> um, and I'm sure that they're really enjoying 4th edition. I will say that the thing that attracts me to D&D or any sort of role-playing game is non-linear pl- problem-solving and trying to figure out a way to fit that into the numerical systems, right? And I think as a player, I do that to the level where I might be like a slight nuisance because I just love the fact that it's like, you're the game engine, we can do whatever we fucking want. We can come up with a solution that you didn't think of in advance. And if I just wanted a well-rendered, beautiful game, I would play The Witcher. If I want a game where we are going to stack on top of each other like acrobats to try and get to a second story window, that's, that's D&D. One last thing, and this is just a general tip to people. If you are going to run meat grinders, 
let your players do kind of whatever they want. I mean, not to the point where you're a pushover, but if you amp up the level of danger, you also should amp up their options and also make it so that it's like worth it for them to come every week. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. Like if you force it on them, then you're just setting them up for failure. They have to choose mm-hmm. their level of danger. They will always think it's their fault too. They will never blame yep. you. Uh, Johan, uh, 1565 said, do you feel that it's better to bend the players to your own personal DM style or better to adapt your DM style to the players' wants, needs, requests? And I think amping up the level of danger and amping up their agency sort of speaks Mm -hmm. to that. I answered this question earlier, basically. I adapt to my players 100%. If my players don't like combat, we do less combat. If my players want to use maps, I will get as many maps as I can. I have like a neutral kind of standing point. That I also answered earlier, which is just a, 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 I want to have a good medium of everything. Because I think like every really good, basic, neutral, bare bones D&D campaign is like it has combat, it has role playing, and it has traveling or investigating. I also personally think every really good D&D game that I've ever played in DM has like a, a mystery um, of, uh, about it. So if there's something about it that is that the players get to figure out or get to learn or something like that, it's perfect. Those are like the bare bones four things I try to keep in my game. Oh, and a villain. You can run a D&D game without a villain, but why would you want to hate yourself like that? <laughs> to me, it's the players are the players of the game. And like the DM is there to facilitate it, to create the, the arena of play, whether that's a giant world or one location, whatever. And like being able to step back and not expect something, not say like, this is the outcome I want. This is exact experience that I want is to me how I get the best game possible. And so that does mean having to conform a bit to what the players want. But it's it's not absolute, right? Because players don't always want the exact same thing. I still have to enjoy it. Uh, and there are times where be like, guys, I just am not interested in running this. This isn't the scene I want to do. I can't stand we're going to torture the prisoner. The one that we let live, now we're just going to torture. Like, why didn't you just kill him in combat? I just draw the line right there. Like, we're not going to do this. What do you want to know? So there are times when I will I will let my preferences be known. But for the most part, I step back and ha- wherever the players want to take it is what I will react to because of just the different relationship between DM and the game and the players in the game. It's a mix, but definitely in deference to the players. You know, I started playing D&D with just friends, like just me and my friends want to hang out and have a good time. And so when you're doing it that way, there's not a lot of room for conflict like me versus my players. Because at the end of the day, you're going to put the game away and then you have to like, we're all going to go to dinner now and be friends again. I always, even when I'm streaming, I stream with friends. It's always about, you know, camaraderie and and team building and being a group. So you have to find that common ground in the middle. And I think to this question, two things that are really important for me as a DM are having a session zero where you get together and you talk about this is what we want to accomplish as a group, what we want to do, what our goals are, you know what a outline story outline or that kind of deal is and the other thing is just employing an x card or some kind of system like when you're getting to a point where either you or the players are like i don't want to do this anymore here's an out like i'm putting down the x card we gotta wrap up the storyline and get somewhere else i do agree with shorten in the aspect because i also only play with my friends right and recently i got a new group of people and what i started doing is i first of all i asked them okay what are you okay with doing and what are you not okay with doing? Like setting boundaries, right? Like mm. what would you never want to see in this game? And then I make sure I never include that because I just, I just want to have a good time and I want them to enjoy it. And especially if there are new players, they don't know yeah. how gruesome some people can be playing the game. Helping them know that they can set the boundary and just because the DM has the authority on the play itself, 
they cannot like make you go through things you don't want, right? But yeah. then also for the end, you need to set your foot straight, right? You need to plant your crown and you'll be like, okay, this is something I'm not doing. You're, I'm not letting you kidnap the princess and throw it over the bridge and do all this crazy stuff with her to get the king to give you the country. I'm not doing that. Right? You need to set boundaries for your players and for yourself. And because you have the authority as the end, you need to be strong enough to enforce them. Yeah, I've actually been doing I, that a lot more recently is giving my players, I can't remember what it's called, but it's like a sheet and a form they can fill out of things of like, oh, I don't want to see no. this in the game, but I'm okay with this. And it really helps me. Lines and veins is what that, like, this is my line, do not cross it. And mm. it's okay, just put a veil in front of it. Just yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, put it in the exactly. It's an interesting one. I mean, I haven't done that, really. I, I let people know in advance, I run a pretty tough game. You guys might die. It's pretty standard <laughs> fantasy fare. I guess I kind of do it in the sense that I'm just like, I don't describe or entertain descriptions of any sexual content because it's real uncomfortable. But I mean, beyond that, most of the people I play with, I, I know pretty well. I think that aside, because that is a thing that, I mean, I guess, I don't know, it's something I should think about, especially when I'm playing with new p people. I do think that a good metric for whether or not my game is going well is how much are the players talking about, because I always have a Discord for whatever the game is, how much mm -hmm. are they talking about the game in between sessions? Mm -hmm. If that Discord goes dead, your game's dead. They're mm -hmm. not interested anymore. You, like, you've lost the magic. In a few cases, maybe they're busy for a week or something and it kind of go. the conversation goes into a lull. But generally speaking, if you're running well and you're hitting the points and you like mm -hmm. know that the game is going well, you'll see in between sessions people are talking nonstop about like, oh, you know what? Should, what should we do with this guy? You know, or whatever. It is. I was a yeah. I was about to like refute you and be like, well, that's not always true. People might be busy. And then I think <laughs> back to like all of the because we make like chats for like our games too, and I'm like, oh yeah, the games I didn't like very much. I never participated in. I would just be like. When are we playing now? Okay, let's go. <laughs> even if you're the games I did enjoy, I was like thinking about all the time and talking to people about it and stuff. Yeah, even and if even you're if you just messaging and saying, sorry guys, super busy this week, but very excited. I agree with everyone. And I think it's, it's something sometimes GMs forget is that you are playing at a table with other people, but they're also <laughs> playing at a table with you. And so your comfort levels and their comfort levels both need to be taken into account, right? And I mm -hmm. was just thinking, Shame when Z was like, I don't want to do any sexual encounter explanations just because it makes me un uncomfy. I'm like, can yeah. you imagine, like Jordan mentions, and then you're like, let's go for a drink afterwards. And then the player's like, cash, like friends, like why are we going for a drink now? Yeah. <laughs> well, I guess, like, but then actually, honestly, in a situation like that, I would be like, thank God it's over. We have another question from chat. What's everybody's top tip for creating tension in and out of combat? I think the best way to create tension, if we're talking about my players specifically, because we're all by a player-by-player -player <laughs> basis, is to uh, make an NPC they really like and then threaten their life <laughs> in combat. They only have two hit points and they're going to die. The players will do everything in their power to protect that NPC unless they hate them. If you put somebody else in the combat that they kind of have to protect, no, we always loathe like NPC escort missions. But I think that's like a video gamey kind of like hate. I think normally for like D&D &D and stuff, it can be pretty fun because mm -hmm. you don't have to worry about 
all the video game limitations. You can kind of just do whatever. In almost all my games now, I, I have NPCs that kind of stick with the party, but they're just like regular people. There's like three or four hit points. And the best way I can always get tension is by, um, I actually did it recently in uh, in our Tomb of Annihilation game. One of the NPCs, while they were away from like their ship, was taken by like pirates. And they all care about like this NPC very much. So it's very easy to set that tension and stress and like motivation to go save that person because they care about them very much. Yeah, so I threaten lives, basically, is what I do. I think if you steal anything, you just if you take anything away from the players, uh, whether it's their money, their magic items, anything that they care about, that immediately sets up tension in, in your thing, in, in your combat, because the person they're fighting could perhaps want to destroy it or take it or get away with it or anything like that. Take away their levels? Oh, no. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> that escalated. <laughs> you monster. Third edition, second edition. Just take away your levels. I, I'm a big fan of classic D&D where you're just, uh, yeah, your levels come and go. Uh, I think building off of what Jacob said, threatening something or, and, you know, that requires, like, the PCs to, like, want something. To like either either for a relationship with an NPC to continue for an ambition that they have for their character, and the the trick there is to like not present the threat as so overwhelming they lose heart. You know, yeah, they they got the NPC. There's no way you can get them. There's absolutely no way, and that's trivially easy for a DM to do, right? You can yes. set up an encounter or a situation in which they never will win. But finding that sweet spot between this is gonna suck for you to do, <laughs> but you can still do it. And there's not just one way, there's multiple ways to do it. Keeping that like unknown, the, the resolution of it is still unknown because it's the hope that they'll still get what they want, that they'll, you know, whatever it is, but they not, they're not certain on anything. And to me, that's the kind of tension. I love it as a player. Uh, and I love it as, as a DM, uh, in combat. I like deadly systems. Warhammer is one of those where it's like, yeah, you're going to lose an arm, an eye, a foot, disemboweled. Yeah. Classic D&D is like that, where it's like, you got 20 hit points at 8th level <laughs> and this <laughs> ogre does like 3 dice of damage against you. So it's like something where you don't know what's going to happen. And I find with like 5th edition, at a certain point in combat, it's a done deal. We know what's going to, we're just mopping up. Right. And then like in the beginning of it, there's still some positioning, some uncertainty, what's going to happen. But like by the middle of combat, this is a foregone conclusion. And so keeping that uncertainty is how I build tension in games in and out of combat. I think it depends on the players and the characters. And so for the stream that I'm doing now, there are two players who are like way to D&D, have been for a long time. And it's like the thief with the levels bag would be terrifying to them. <laughs> One of my players is just a very old friend of mine who's great on camera. And I was like, you have to just do this thing with me. And mm. so that would mean nothing to her. She would have no clue why that's supposed to be scary. So it all depends on, you know, who is at your table and what's going on. And I know with her in particular, I can do like really emotional, like role play stuff. And that will make her very tense or anxious or motivate her. But just like straight up rules and stats, that's not going <laughs> to touch her at all. Yeah, yeah, so it yeah. really You'll have to succeed in 18 constitution with. save. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> no. <laughs> Which uh, die do I pick up? I don't know. Shiny math rocks. Click clack. Yeah. <laughs> click clack. <laughs> <laughs> What I do for outside of combat, I really like describing the scene and make it eerie. So I do I do the weather, what you smell, what you hear, mm -hmm. describing the, the area and the colors of it, the, the lighting in the, in the scene. You know, you set up a scene and if your players are, are even a little bit involved, it will make them tense because it's suddenly they are seeing themselves in the situation. They go, ooh, 
Oh, and then also, if, if you really want to make them lose their minds, give them a box, just a wooden box, and tell them, it's a wooden box, it's a magical wooden box. So you open it, and you tell them, roll a D100. They roll it, and you tell them, nothing happens. And they go, what do you mean nothing happens? I mean, yeah. no, you open it, the magic dispelled, nothing happens. You don't, see, you don't see anything happen. They will lose their half a year. A player was half a year opening and closing the box daily just to see what happened until one day he saw all the cows in a five mile radius like float up in the sky and I was like, oh my God, it was crazy. Jesus, Dan, I didn't know we were torturing our players. Or you can give them curses that they don't know what they do. You know, just give them a curse and it's like you lose one HP every time you rest and you need to solve it. They will also just lose their minds trying to solve it. It was very, from my experience. In, in combat specifically, I don't know much what to do except like if you set up the story correctly you should have characters you can use be it enemies or npcs that you can you can use as pawns your little tension game just to make them like feel like oh no it's that guy that killed the other guy in one hit what are we gonna do you know like that they're gonna get tense uh, if they're involved in the story in my experience what i do generally is i set up the mechanics of the game in such a way that it's like a weird i don't know i don't want to say skinner box because that makes it sound really evil but when somebody's character dies they restart at first level with one additional feat so i run a mixed level group now that means that when the characters are seventh or eighth level they are like i am not gonna fucking die <laughs> I will do anything not to die. I don't want to start over again. They will occasionally get reset back to the first level, but that additional feat is pretty good mechanically. So people who tend to die a lot, and the other thing is I use experience. The way that I do experience leveling is meant to be kind of engaging where it's like, okay, there are different values for different role play things. If something's thematic, it gets a modifier. If something's in line with your character, it'll get a multiplier on it. If you're doing something that your character would do, basically the things you would normally award inspiration for are actual multipliers on the amount of experience that they get that session by like 20% or whatever. So what does end up happening though is that a new character will level pretty quickly back to the group level or just under it. They'll usually trail like one level behind, but that additional feat is a big deal. Especially if you've lost two characters early on and now you've got like a three feet character at sixth level. The other thing that I would say that's a really easy tension builder is take a look at those exhaustion mechanics, the back of the DMG. They are brutal and they are scary at any level. You can add them as monster effects. You can add them as like travel effects. That can be fun. I know that what I'm describing right now would be a nightmare to a lot of players. Yeah. I feel that. There are some people who need this. <laughs> Dead inside. I got to have that kind of excitement. This is for um, you. Yeah. Exactly. Are you not in 2020, I don't. Not in 2020. <laughs> One thing I'm doing in my new campaigns is um, instead of doing massive damage, because we've done that for a long time, like taking half your health, DC 5, 15 con save, or you take system shock or something like that. If you hit zero and come back from zero, you take a level of exhaustion. So it's like you're slowly wearing yourself down after you come back from zero. But what I've done is I've also introduced a couple of new spells into the game and um, a potion of also stamina. Uh, lingering injuries and... 
<laughs> we're not doing lingering injuries. We, this replaces it basically. So okay. if you if you hit zero and come back, you you have disadvantage on your ability checks. And then if you hit zero again and come back, you're at two. And if you hit zero six times, I mean you're dead. But I've incorporated spells. Um, one's called like Invigorate, where uh, you can remove all of your levels of exhaustion for two hours. But after two hours, you gain another level of exhaustion. It's like a trade if you wanted to get rid of them. I also have healing potions and stamina potions. Stamina potions get rid of a level of exhaustion if you take them. Sorry, I think what a lot of people are saying here is the tension, there needs to be repercussions, right? So as much as I'm a storytelling GM and I love your tips, Jacob and Z, but I will never use them. <laughs> it sounds like a lot of math, but players need repercussions. Like, Otherwise, they would just do anything and not care about it. If they don't care that their character is going to die and you're just going to find some way to resurrect them or go to the afterlife and find them, players need to care. And that caring, as you said, Jacob, if you take something they care about or if they intrinsically care, like Adan mentioned as well, they will feel that tension. But chat also mentioned, and this is something I love, doing too, is phantom dice rolling. You're just like... And you use the mechanic... Just to create tension. And people are like, why'd you roll the dice? You're like, you don't need to know. And you literally just rolled it for, like, did a bird hear them in the bushes? I used to save up crit fails. Whenever somebody would roll a crit fail, I would just write it down. Ooh. Ooh. Okay. <laughs> That's almost worse than phantom dice rolls is writing stuff down. Like the players do something, you go, all right, give me one second. Right, and they're like, give me a second. Why? Yeah, nothing, nothing, nothing bad happens. Remember that. <laughs> your, your players go like, I do this, and you're like, oh, okay, no, no, yeah, do it. And you, you don't say anything else. You just like, yeah. keep going. Wait, what did you do? That? I don't know. No, just one more. The phantom die roll works really well if you roll front of the screen because then mm. they get to see the they can see um, the number oof. and then it just it really ratchets it up yeah <laughs> they just see you roll a 20 and they're like <laughs> oh my god <laughs> you'll find out i think unfortunately we're gonna have to come to some kind of close so i think maybe if you could give your best gm tip if you want your players to care about your story, your world, your campaign, or anything, you take their story that they made with their character and you put it into yours and they'll they'll love your game. Mine would be a willingness to put in the work. Whatever it is, world building, NPCs, combat, whatever. You're here to present a game for the players, so bring it. Put in whatever work you need, however much you need. But like for me, I get really annoyed when a DM goes, I don't know what's going to happen. I didn't prepare anything. I was like, well, then why am I here? Whatever your style is, whatever game you run, just give it all you can. And if you, you can't, can it's okay to call the game off. I know, right? Just don't tell them. Have fun. It's called a role-playing game. Like, it's a game, and there's a lot of stuff on the internet about, like, play it this way or play it that way or I don't like this DM or no, just, just have fun, you know? The rules are there. They're great. But have a good time playing a game. There is no invisible wall. There is no code of tech. They don't take text code. There, this is not a video game. This is not a book. This is not a movie. The only limit is your imagination. So get creative. Make a world filled with huge shoes that are houses for people. Do something cool. Do something crazy. Have fun. Because at the end of the day, that, that's the experience. That's what you get. So you know, have fun. Be creative. I'm going to be sneaky and fit in too. The first is don't be a jerk. If Just your game isn't working, you're probably not being 
nice or there's somebody at the table who's like not being nice to the people around them. Like that's usually mm-hmm. the reason the game doesn't work. It's not necessarily about mechanics or any of that other stuff. Yep. The other thing is, and this is, I think this is a Chris Perkins tip from way back, but he said, put it all in the next session. Don't come up with a two-year plan of, like, all this cool stuff that's going to happen because they're going to go and then through the tunnel and then when they come up and I'm going to knock them out and then I'm going to take them to hell and then do it all in in one session immediately. Use every single plan that you can come up with or that you think is cool. Just throw it all at them as as fast as you can. This might be why I can't do serious games. <laughs> but if you front load sessions that way, then it can be really, really fun for the players instead of them just being stuck in these like weird doldrums where you're trying to build tension. Where can people follow you in a safe, non-stalkery way and support you? Uh, you can find me on my YouTube channel, XP to Level 3. You can also find me on Twitter, XP to Level 3. Those are the only two I mostly use. <laughs> uh, I am, uh, of course, WebDM, our main YouTube channel. We have a second one, WebDM Plays, which is where all our actual plays are archived. There's a Patreon. If you feel like listening, it's fine. And then I'm also... Their Patreon's fucking awesome. They do podcasts. Like, for real, it's a really good Patreon. Thank That's you. awesome. I yeah, appreciate it. And then every every now and then, most Tuesdays uh, at uh, GMT minus four Eastern time uh, in the U.S., I'm on Todd Talks on D&D Beyond's uh, Twitch channel. Uh, and cool. So usually we're talking about whatever is going on that week in D&D, um, but not every week. The easiest place to find me and actually get a response is going to be on Instagram, Instagram uh, slash Lambertra, L-A-M-B-E-R-T-R-A-A. Otherwise, I'm all over the Internet under that name, but like I may or may not respond or follow back. You can find me on YouTube doing comedy and funny ha-has. Uh, <laughs> funny ha-has. Adam, A-D-A-M. You have to look up, again, Aiden D&D and you will find me, I swear. It's not a religious thing, it's just a name I chose. Okay, don't ask about it. So if you, if I made you laugh, just follow me on YouTube or on Twitter at Bert Cyclops, where I share my glamour from Final Fantasy XIV. I'm on YouTube, uh, Z Bashu, um, but I mean, if you just put in probably Z E E space D and D, then I'll I'll come up in Google or in YouTube. And I'm on Twitter, also Z Bashu. I don't respond to people a lot lately. I basically have just like left the internet in 2020. I mean, I, I still make stuff and I put it out on the YouTube channel. So that's that's the best way to see what I'm up to. And very occasionally I'll post something on Twitter, but I. Every time I look up, I'm just like, oh, my God. And then I just go back. <laughs> yeah, <same. laughs> I don't go outside. Yeah. I don't use the internet anymore. Yeah. <laughs> also, um, I'm going to put a disclaimer here. You know, it's not necessarily <laughs> for, for us to reply to, for you to reply to everyone who follows you. <laughs> Hashtag just no promises, guys. Hashtag no promises. Is the real answer to where can we find you on the internet? Everybody just like, you can't. You you can't. But support my Patreon anyway. But you can't find me. Follow everyone's Patreon link. Give these amazing people money. Jordan, if you don't have a Patreon, make one now. (laughs) Right after this. Um, yeah, well, I just. Patreon, you guys. Oh. And on that note, chat. Thank you for being so involved. Um, I see people were mentioning that chat was also giving a lot of answers and really being rad. So that's appreciated. Cool. Thank you, everyone who followed. 
thank you guys so much for taking the time please do follow them and support them if you can they're really amazing people also off the screen so it wasn't just like for pretend they're really rad people if you'd like you can find us uh dum dum die here on twitch and every on all the socials at dum dum die spelled d-u-m-d-u-m-d-i-e thank you everyone have a most wonderful weekend filled with adventure <laughs>